Shut up and sit down. Welcome to another episode of the Super Movie Studies Podcast. Still haven't changed the intro, so here it comes. A community of superhero movie fans, teachers, and students. People looking to discover more about superheroes and the world because both are awesome. I'm your comic culture host, Michael Maurer. Joined by the movie maestro, James Schuyler Houtsma. And the scientific scholar, Ben Anderson. SMSP is your premier movie discussion podcast. Every week we continue our journey exploring our favorite subject, superhero movies. Every fan sees the movies differently, so we gather some amateur experts to discuss certain aspects of the movie. Whether it's money, comic books, music, science, or some dumb shit, SMSP talks about it all in this week's episode. They say Electra whispers in your ear before she kills you. Alpha, Bravo, report. It's too late for your boss power, but you still have a chance. Jesus Christ. all true. The red outfit, the knives. So what happens now? You just kill me straight out, just cold? Don't worry. That's not that bad. Yeah. How do you know? Yes, there will be spoilers. Kind of. Kind of. Uh, spoilers because probably nobody watched the movie. Uh, first opinions. You know, lay it on me, Skyler. All right, I'm going to be uncharacteristically non-hyperverbal on this film in that I, it's it's just an incredibly dull picture. I'm I'm shocked at how. Often it tries to be super badass and then just ends up being super bad. Um, it's flat all around. Uh, it's very much a product of when superhero movies were either break or uh, fly or you know sink or swim. I suppose is the better way to put it. <laughs> There's a lot of words and idioms you're mixing up in your head there. That was a, that was a fun metaphor. <laughs> uh, I'm so tired. No. Um, I, I kind of actually forgot this movie even existed, to be honest. And it's uh, it's pretty crazy when you can make the movie that came before you, Daredevil, look super good in comparison. Popcorn Ben. I'm going to see if I can um, do this without drawing comparisons to Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. <laughs> okay. But I will say this about the movie. The, the the writing was god-awful. It was the most boring plot I could imagine when I even understood what was going on. And it had some like really poorly implemented special effects and a love story that made no sense at all, and I didn't care about any of the characters. And um, I, I guess it was slightly better than Attack of the Clones, but not much better. <laughs> it, oh, it, yeah, it was a 
boring love pot interrupted by this is this is how it's like Attack of the Clones. I was gonna say it was a boring, unnecessary love plot interrupted by confusing, boring, unnecessary fight sequences, and, and like a plot that like I didn't really care about because nothing was at stake. Okay. Oh, I knew this movie was gonna be great. Also, with the animated sequence with a voiceover telling us the backstory. Yes, animated yep. exposition. Uh, popcorn Michael. <laughs> Never fails. I know Skyler. Uh, nice gulp sound, thank you. Electra. Now, I remember in probably 2010, maybe nine, I rented this movie from the library uh, because it was a superhero movie. And I just consumed every single one of them, still do. And I thought, wow, that was just a really boring movie. Like, that was targeted 100% towards 14-year-old me, as most superhero movies are, especially the ones made in the mid-2000s. And I went, man, that's not, that's not even a good movie. Who likes this? But I have to say, after re-watching it for this podcast, not as absolutely dreadful as I remember. Yes, boring film. No coherent, really, plot. A lot of extra shit that didn't make sense, especially every single Electra flashback. No idea what the fuck that was about. Uh, but in terms of, like, action sequences, some of them, okay. I won't, I won't sell it too short. Uh, Jennifer Garner, not like she didn't sell me as being a badass, because she looks pretty strong when she's kicking ass. I'm not going to lie. Uh, so 10% Rotten Tomatoes seems a little harsh. I'd give it a 20. Are you going to stand there, look at me, and honestly tell me that this movie is worse than Batman and Robin? This movie's worse than... Uh, worse I can't than actually make that call. I agree with you. When I was 13 or 14, this movie would have been badass. Yeah. A decade later, it's just stupid. <laughs> you see, Batman and Robin actually has some um, unintentional pleasure from watching just how campy awful it is, whereas this one is just like watching a flat line on an EKG, just beep. Yeah. First... Watching the Star Wars prequels. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's movies you can just do shit to. You don't have to commit to this film. So it's it's not uh, – but, hey, can we just make a mention that fucking General Zod was in this movie? What the hell? As Stick? Oh, I thought you meant actually General Zod, and I was like, he's DC, though. No. <laughs> Terrence Stamp played Stick, who also played General Zod. And you're just waiting for Stick to say, kneel before me. And you're like, mm, maybe it'll come. Also, Hashtag what? Scott Glenn forever. <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. Uh, what the fuck was up with this treasure bullshit? Did anyone figure that out? I think it was explained in the. Um, I, th I I don't think the animated introductory sequence had anything to do with the rest of the movie, but that might have been what that was attempting to explain. Like they're like, there's this gonna be this chick who's a prodigy, and she's gonna tip the balance between the hand and the chaste. Yep. I don't think they even called it the chaste in this film. And for some reason, it's 
this 13 year old girl with no martial arts experience. Uh, yeah, well, she can whip a golden necklace around. A good job, but it's for some like, reason, it's implying that Electra is the prodigy, the the treasure, right? It's implying that. And then we learn, oh, bait and switch. This chick named Abby is actually the treasure. Okay, her name is Abigail. Abigail. But then typhoid, typhoid Mary, the chick who can sicken people. Literally says, hey, I used to be the treasure once, and I don't like competition. Which makes me go, how is this a rotating title? Like, is like, is this fucking written in prophecy? Is it just, like, gather up as many 13-year-old female prodigies as you can and hope that you picked the right treasure? Which... I, I actually, about two-thirds of the way through the movie... Um, I went to read the plot synopsis on Wikipedia, and I was even more confused because it talked about so much stuff that I didn't realize had happened. <laughs> it's an incredibly understated movie, so understated that you forget things happen. It's, yeah, like, it's so baffling that I'm almost afraid to criticize it in case it's like actually really good and I just don't get it because I'm an idiot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if that's one thing Mark Steven Johnson is known for, is it Jackson? Don't fuck with me here. It's Johnson. Thank you. Is it, if it's one thing Mark Steven Johnson is known for, that it is hidden intellectualism. Uh, didn't movie... he also direct Eraserhead? No, that was David Lynch. That was a joke. Uh, I know it's uh, David Lynch. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I should have made it a statement. I should have declared it rather than asked it. <laughs> also, he also Mark directed Steven... Eraserhead. God. Uh, Mark Steven Johnson didn't do Electra. That was Rob Bowman. But wasn't he like producer on this? I'm not seeing oh. his name anywhere. Oh, never mind. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Kevin Feige was a producer on this film. Oh, so was Avi Arad, which makes oh, more sense. Yeah, that makes sense, though. Um, so let's move on to the money. Uh, no fancy or shitty segues here. With a production budget of $43 million, that's even hefty for 2005, we get a domestic gross of $24 million, a worldwide gross, a, for, uh, a foreign gross of thirty. Two million for a worldwide bringing in fifty-eight. So that's fifteen mil above its production. I think you mean fifty-six? Shit, fifty-six. Did I mention I've had two whiskey sours? No. Uh, <laughs> it's gonna be one of those again. Uh, if you guys like Batman Begins, you're gonna love Electra. Except you won't, because <laughs> one movie's good. I meant podcast episodes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Hashtag Electro Nightmares. Oh, wait, that's redundant. <laughs> so relativize this for me, Skylar. Okay. Um, I had originally thought this movie came out in February. No, it's it's so bad it came out in January's. Oh, um, little insight. Movies, movies that come out in January are generally when the crop that film studios are like, we don't want anyone to see this. Let's just shit it out there. They're, they're uh, often called they're often called "fuck you." It's January movies. <laughs> yes, <laughs> thank you, Red Letter Media. Yeah. Um, it's uh, but it opened in 
fifth place in mid-January in 2005 at $12.8 million. That that kind of blows my mind because what movie in January opens in fifth place at 12.8? Like, that must have been a stellar fucking January if four <laughs> other movies <laughs> on January 14th opened better than that. So Now I'm wondering what other four movies those were. I I have to look that up because that's that's it blows my mind. Uh, right now, in the grand scheme of things, as far as uh, domestic gross goes, Elektra is nestled comfortably between the likes of superhero movie and my super ex girlfriend, which means it's still higher than the Spirit and Punisher War Zone. Oh yay, Punisher War Zone though. Are we gonna have to watch superhero movie? By the way. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, let's take a look at the five movies that are above Elektra as a box office mojo January 16, 2005. We have, in fifth place, White Noise, the horror movie about white noise in your TV. Fourth? Starring Batman. Yes. Michael Keaton's in that movie. Thank you. Oh, okay, I was like, which one? Uh, four, In Good Company. I don't know what that movie's about. Three, Racing Stripes, where Frankie Muniz voices a zebra. That is correct. Two, Meet the Fockers, the acclaimed sequel to Meet the Parents. And number one, could you believe this? Coach Carter, killing it at the box office. Samuel Jackson laying down some hard basketball law. Any relation to Agent Peggy Carter? <laughs> we wish. Both got MCU ties, whereas Electro was made for the highly neglected 14-year-old boys audience. Uh, Coach Carter was made for the actually neglected uh, black and African-American audience. Yeah, also I said it opened in fifth place, so I'm wondering why. Um, I said January 16th, so I'm like two days away from its actual opening day. Oh, okay, so it probably just slipped by Sunday into sixth place, which mm-hmm. isn't surprising. Sorry. It's okay. Oh, you were asking what good co- in good company is? It's that uh, film with Topher Grace and Scarlett Johansson and Dennis Quaid, in which Topher Grace is like a twenty-something-year-old manager, CEO, something, dating Dennis Quaid's. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's too much for me. <laughs> okay, that's funny. All right, um, let's move on to comic books. All right, we got uh, starting up. We've got the character Master Roshi. All right, premiered in uh, Sea Monkeys. He is a uh, 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 the manga, right? Um, he is the the acclaimed uh, master to Goku San in the Dragon Ball Z uh, television series and manga. Um, and of course, we see him in this movie. I I, I don't. Think Dragon Ball Z is Marvel. Oh wait, shit! Different Master Roshi. Okay, yeah. this one made completely for the fucking shitty movie. Uh, so damn it, couldn't get that cool. Sadly, not as perverted as the uh, Dragon Ball Z one. Yeah, and you might forget there's a character actually named Master Roshi in this movie. I would, I would love a Dragon Ball Z, D or Marvel crossover. That would be pretty badass. That would be so cool. 
Okay, let's get on to some actual characters that premiered in this uh, movie that maybe have some importance. Oh, wait, never mind. We're starting with Tattoo. Wait, tattoo. Are there important characters in this movie? Uh, hopefully. Here is Tattoo. Not at all like Tattoo in the comics, because Tattoo in publication is a female X-Man with the ability to shift the imagery on her skin to form different words and patterns. Uh, whereas the guy in the movie could make the tattoos on his body come to life, which is more related to a Green Lantern villain from the DC side called the Tattooed Man, who could make images on his body come alive, but not necessarily animals could be inanimate objects like a boat. So his, his tattoo in the comics is more like the Illustrated Man from uh, Ray Bradbury's uh, classic novel, Something Wicked This Way Comes. Wasn't there a novel called The Illustrated Man? It was a short story, but oh. they're different illustrated men, confusingly. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah. So next character, we have Stone. Daredevil, number 187. I'm going to be talking a lot. I'm, I'm talking a lot about Daredevil between like 170 and 190, because that was Frank Miller's run. And that's basically what half of this sh- characters from this film come from for no good reason at all so 187 1982 Frank Miller and Klaus Janssen uh, same creative team in Dark Knight Returns so Stone in the movie is the big black guy with the impervious skin and gets killed by a falling tree he has no speaking lines uh, yeah you're right he doesn't uh, in Daredevil 187 he's one of Stick's most talented pupils alongside Daredevil and Elektra a skilled martial artist and respected member of the Chaste he is, avail- he is able to manipulate his chi to make himself invulnerable to any attack as long as he sees it's com- as long as he sees it coming so kind of like what we saw in the movie we see this version of him sort of in the Daredevil Season 1 episode, Stick, where Stick sits in a dark room towards the end of the episode and talks about his talks about Matt's future in plans to come. Do you remember that mystery character that didn't get explained in Season 2? <laughs> or probably ever, if <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the trend keeps... <laughs> okay. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, we're still. Are you? You're still there. Um, okay. Uh, yep. We, we were waiting for you to finish your shit. Yeah. <laughs> you just stop mid sentence. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to a, a, a better character. Uh, Typhoid Mary, Daredevil number two hundred and fifty-four, nineteen eighty-eight, and Nocenti and John Romita Jr. Another character with no similarities to their comic book com- counterpart. Mary Walker is a mutant who suffers from dissociative identity disorder where she has three dominant personalities. Mary, who is timid, shy, and has no no access to her mutant abilities. Typhoid, who is adventurous, lustful, and can use her powers to a limited extent. And Bloody Mary, who is a sadistic man-hater and the most powerful of the three. She was originally hired by the Kingpin as typhoid to kill daredevil while her mary persona was in a role was in a romantic relationship with matt murdoch it is speculated that she became crazy because matt during his early years before daredevil 
pushed her out of a window accidentally. Her love-hate relationship with Matt is what defined her before she had some adventures with Spider-Man, the X-Men, and a sketchy branch of the Avengers. Her powers included telekinesis, telepathy, pyrokinesis, and nothing to actually do with typhoid or typhoid Mary. Hmm. How disappointing. Where in the movie, she's got that... You know, and honestly, she's kind of the coolest character in the film. Because she creates the most artistic scenes when she's just like walking through the forest and everything's dying around her. Or when she does that like evil kiss on Elektra and everything's dead around her. I'm like, you know, that looks kind of cool. Not going to lie. It's a nice idea. Next up, we're going to go with Karigi from Daredevil 174, 1981, Frank Miller. Karigi in the film you saw was the, the guy with super speed, the leader of the evil hand specialty members. Uh, so in the comic book, either this dude is from ancient Japan or he's a spirit of a guy who was from ancient Japan because Karigi is a dead, as a long dead enemy of the chaste who was resurrected by the hand in order to take out Electra. He's a skilled ninja assassin with mastery in various weapons, but his most powerful ability is that he can meditate himself to perfect health after any wound besides dismemberment. No, he doesn't have super speed. He's actually also really huge in the comic book, and I don't think <laughs> says anything, so a little bit of character liberty there. Uh, with everyone, every character is not at all like the comic book counterparts, with the exception of maybe Elektra. Because that always goes all over well with the fans. Yeah, really. Um, next up we have The Hand. Started in Daredevil, number 174, 1981, Frank Miller again. The Hand started out, this is some interesting shit, all right? The Hand started out as a group of Japanese people sick of how their government was treating them and moved to the mountains to practice ninjutsu. There's a lot more context to that in this, in this arc, but I'm just giving you the basics. They came back in the late 16th century taking over the Japanese government and operating with an inner circle of five members that each ran one of the five islands of Japan. Hence, that's why they're called the Hand, Five Fingers. Makes sense. Their Talk goal, to it. <laughs> their goal was to just give more power back to the Japanese middle and lower class until a sect within them called the Snake Root Clan led a murderous rebellion and took power of the inner circle. These guys are straight-up ninjas. These people worshipped a figure called the Beast that gave them supernatural powers, and their goal was complete world dominance. So the hand, humble beginnings, not actually the evil ninja mischievous organization that we know it for in TV today. Guessing they also didn't disintegrate into green gas back then either. It depends on your relationship with the beast, I guess. Uh, I think a couple people did that when they looked at the beast. The beast is also a very confusing character. Uh, finally, we have Elektra, premiered in Daredevil number 168, Frank Miller. Her origin is a little muddy, but she was born to a wealthy Greek family. Her mother passed during childbirth. Her father, a target for assassination. Her father was a target for assassination, being a, I believe, is a big uh, politician in Greece. 
and that led to her being kidnapped while she, when she was nine and her brother rescuing her. Her father hired a sensei to train her from that incident forward. She attended Columbia University in New York. Uh, by now, her father is a U.S. ambassador, uh, where she met classmate Matt Murdock and started dating. Soon after, she and her father were kidnapped again in, con in a conflict that resulted in him being gunned down and Daredevil really botching the rescue effort. I don't know if he was Daredevil yet. Uh, I'm pretty sure he wasn't in this flashback. This caused Elektra to lose faith in humanity, the world, whatnot, because she saw her father die in front of her. She moved to China to train in to train martial arts, where she found Stick. Stick recognized the evil potential in her soul and worked to convert her as an ally of good. Yes, cliches. It didn't work, and for a time she became an agent for the hand. Later, she moved back to New York as the Kingpin's top assassin, where she failed to kill Foggy Nelson. Um, Bullseye, was then to com uh, Bullseye was then sent to compete with her for the top spot of Kingpin's assassin, and he stabbed her with her own sigh. That's uh, kind of a famous storyline. Feel free to look into it. She managed to crawl back to Matt's apartment and die in his arms. Dramatically. Very dramatic. What follows next is a lot of more death and resurrection and death of only part of her soul and manifestation of only the evil part of her soul, yada yada, whatever. In case you're wondering, she does have a superpower of low-level telepathy because uh, chi, focusing your chi gives you superpowers. Um, and this power is... she is actually mind-throwing, where she's able to, like, look through someone's eyes. And she uses that power in the movie, like, four times, but nobody explains that's what she's doing. So if I want to give you a little explanation, gang, that's why they're doing those weird camera shots. She's a warg from Game of Thrones. <laughs> that is correct. She doesn't possess them, though. She just looks through their eyes. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Hold the door. Okay. Uh, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so moving on, uh, I held the door open for you, Skylar, as you can walk right in and oh, take uh, over you. for your section. Oh, man. Music section. A little bit of a shorter one today. Scored Electra is written by Christoph Beck, who we have... Uh, previously mentioned on this podcast as being the composer of Ant-Man and Frozen, which we haven't mentioned on this podcast yet, but it happened. Um, much like the movie is a strange uh, attempt to be super badass, the music is also a strange attempt to be super badass. Let's listen to the first track we've got on the docket, and that is DeMarco's End. Why is it called DeMarco's End? Because um, the guy she kills at the beginning of the movie is named DeMarco. Oh. She's all like, dying's not so bad, and then she does that really weird thing where she's like all of a Jim sudden... Jim Halpert's the camera. 
<laughs> she looked into the camera. <laughs> she looks directly at the camera. It's the most hilarious thing I've ever seen. <laughs> that's funny. what I was that at that moment in the movie. I was like, oh man, it's gonna be worse <laughs> than the spirit, and it's gonna be one of those so bad it's funny, and then nothing funny happened for the rest of the film. No, I thought I didn't know if I had. I was the only one who noticed that, but <laughs> best scene. Um, no, and then she does that really weird thing where she's like, I died once. And then she's back across the room, and it's like, this is redonkulous. <laughs> you know, I like that opening scene, guys, so screw you. <laughs> that, that's fine. It's your right that, to like that. That was kind of like, this movie does have a lot of analog, anal, uh, is very analogous with the spirit, right? Except not as crazy kooky as the spirit went. But, like, the spirit had a pretty good opening sequence, and it kind of feels like all of the investment of how cool this movie can be was put into that opening sequence, and then they were just like, shit, we need to actually make a movie. <laughs> yeah, it's like they filmed the opening sequences and brought them to the studio, like, hey, guys, we're going to make this kick-ass movie about the spirit, Electra, more Frank Miller creations. It's going to be great. And then it's like, ah, God, where does the rest of the movie go? Oh, uh, no, rest- we need to write a script. Oh, shit. No one knows how to do that. Uh, well, the rest of the segment is going to the next clip, which is Insomnia, which I'm just going to go out on a limb and guess is some music accompanying some kind of insomnia stuff. Play the thing. pretty invested in this music i gotta say i'm not gonna say it's it's bad it's very um put well put together music and i think it really would supplement a pretty well put together action film if this was one yeah i mean christoph beck is a very uh nuanced and interesting composer and i think it's fair to say this is a competent adequate uh score that gets the job done for an a mid-2000s action thriller, maybe not necessarily a comic book film, but... <laughs> Saying competent makes it sound like Christopher, Christoph Beck isn't competent on a normal basis, and let's get this straight, he definitely is. Yes, thank you for that correction, yes. Pretty sure that this guy did the musical episode of Buffy, and therefore he owe, I owe him all of my respect. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, then. Um, a more than competent one. There. Now, now that kind of insinuates that everything he does is competent or be- or greater. <laughs> all right, all right, yeah, we get it. Let's it. stop. Let's stop sucking Christoph Beck's dick. All right. Or yes. let's start. <laughs> well, you guys can. Uh, you go first, please. Uh, I insist. Or let's listen to Hedge Maze Brawl. Oh, I like option C.
man, the music doesn't just make you want to do a really choppily edited, strange sword fight. <laughs> I was barely paying attention through most of this film. All right, I saw Kurigi uh, fall down a well and start to vanish, and I literally went, "Oh, the fight's over. She must have stabbed him with a sign, thrown him over a well." Like I just like I know what happens. <laughs> I get it. I'm not even gonna rewind to make sure that's what happened. Yeah, or like I I don't like I saw her throw a sigh into the hedge, but I didn't I like looked down after that and I didn't actually see Typhoid die. But I thought to myself, hey, whatever happened to Typhoid? Ah, it was probably that random sigh that was thrown <laughs> through a hedge. So now you're talking about all these things and I'm trying to like remember them <laughs> happening. And I was paying attention during this movie. I'm like, Oh yeah, that dude got thrown down a well, but how did he who, who threw him? <laughs> was it actually Electra? There's only one other person in this scene, but I but I can't tell for sure. Didn't Karigi like kill her parents or something? What was the deal there? Who's Karigi? Yeah. <laughs> the main villain. Uh, <laughs> there was there a main was... villain other than the black dude. <laughs> there was a um yeah a really choppily edited strange uh flashback scene when they first started fighting like no now you remember me. And then she remembered him, and the audience was like, what? <laughs> what What was the deal with her dad? Oh, there were so many weird flashbacks. Like, why is the dad making her do, like, uh, uh, tread water for, like, 30 minutes? Keep uh, going, Electra. Why, keep going. Why was she keep sent going. to kill this dude and kidnap her daughter without them ever saying why? Yeah, well, they would... The, uh, the daughter keep is going, the treasure. Right. Right, keep but going, like, audience. Keep she, going, audience. Electra had no idea. Yeah, she didn't. She, had she no just clue. fell in love with this dude for no reason and then no, decided no, no. not to kill him for some okay. reason. Okay, this part was obvious to me, was that she saw Abby as her younger self, and she wanted to give Abby a better life than she had when she was a child who was like training to be the treasure. See, I guess. that was not obvious to me. I got that part. There was there was a part where literally Abby comes up the stairs d- dressed in Electra's clothes, and all Electra sees is a younger version of herself, like the younger. Yeah, and I thought that was. There. I just thought that was weird. Uh, Actually, I thought that was a completely different character. I was like, this is a weird dream sequence where Electra is talking to her past <laughs> self. Oh uh, no no no! Because she sees herself in Abby. And then she's like, I want Abby to live because, like, that's my – she's trying to, like, actually give someone a good childhood that is given the same circumstances that she was during her childhood. I got that part. You're right, though. How she fell in love with Mark Miller was bullshit. Didn't make any damn sense. Mark and- Miller was like, was like, my wife died, and, she, he, and then Electra was like, okay, and then they made out. Uh, yeah, that's exactly how it happened. Okay, so since you're talking so much, Ben, so gladly, because I'm, I'm sure Skyler's done with music oh at this point. Skyler's um, done with music at this point. Oh, God. Okay. I don't know what that Which means. means it is time for some science. Oh, God. I picked out three topics for you to save you the trouble. Okay, and I will uh, do two of them. Okay, thank you. I was like, uh, the first, I'm, I'm assuming not the first one. Correct. Because, uh, well, mostly it was... Uh, this the first topic I have is the way of the kimaguru, kimagure or something like that. It's the method that 
Stick uses to bring Electra back to life, and that Electra eventually uses to bring Abby back to life because resurrection is just a freaking snap of the freaking fingers between the hand and the chaste. Yep. So I was just wondering, is the way of the Kimaguri like even like a rumored thing? Is that real? It's magic. It's magic. It's magic, okay. you know. Never believe it's it's not so. <laughs> Do you believe in it. magic? In a young girl's heart. Uh, okay, but it's it's all magic. It's not like even these people who practice like chi maneuvering to give you a healthier lifestyle or anything like that. You can't bring the dead back to life. Otherwise, everyone would I, do it. I <laughs> know got that. The magic in her. Uh, I've got the, the magic, magic in me. me. Yes, thank you. I know that song. Uh, <laughs> She's a black magic woman. Yeah. She's trying to make a devil out of me. All right. Um, so let's move past that shitty topic then, since okay. it apparently doesn't exist. You're going hey, on record. There's nothing, there's nothing shitty about Santana. Uh, no, 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 you're saying uh, the way of the Kimuguru isn't even like a, a minor thing. I don't want to talk about it. Fine. Roll up right. for the mystery tour, the magical mystery tour. There we go. <laughs> yeah. that's, just, that's just quotes, you know, six, 60s and 70s rock song until Michael quits. <laughs> Strange magic. All right. Ooh, good one. Yeah, thank you. All right, let's move on to the the next one. We've got OCD because for some reason they gave Electra and Abby both OCD, and you know what? Because it didn't make any sense with any of the plot. Uh, I want Ben to talk about it. Yeah, I actually did not pick up on this until they had to tell us. Um, <laughs> this movie suffers from a classic case of tell don't show when. In the opening sequence, we're told something about the plot. You mean and, to- tell and confuse? Right. and then tell, tell more to contradict the first telling and then tell again. Yeah, and then later we are told when Electra goes to murder that first dude, we are told that she's a badass but not shown that she can do badass things. And then later we are told but not shown... Well, actually, we are shown once, but it's just confusing. Um, Speaking because... of once and counting, OCD. Yes. So OCD is uh, short for obsessive compulsive disorder, um, and basically, it's a behavioral um, mental disorder where you have obsessive thoughts, um, and you take compulsive, repeated actions. So. Um, if if you have like obsessive thoughts about cleanliness and you have to wash your hands or like make sure that everything is ordered and nice and you know like like in, I, like I thought the, it didn't have to do with that. I thought it had to do with actual numbering. Like you have to say like the number it it uh it it, it like oh, five no, no, times. Oftentimes there will be like the compulsive behavior will be. It, it's it's repetition, compulsive repetition, um, is the thing, and often that will be you'll count things, um, or you'll have to do something for a certain amount of time, but it doesn't have to be you know checking to see if the door is locked every five minutes. Um, it, it can be as simple as making sure like a vase on the table is in the exact spot you know, yeah. you deem it to be, or that the knocker on a door isn't turned. Yeah. Packing and repacking a purse or a bag. 
to make sure that everything's in its right spot. Um, okay. So it's and it's and it's more than just I like having things neat. I like having things orderly. I like being you know I like having ha- clean hands. It's if it's to such a degree that's disrupting your ability to, to do normal day to day things. Okay. Uh, so she really didn't have that severe of OCD because all she did was count when she walked and wasn't aware yeah. that she was counting. And and I did that, still do. I'll count one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four when I take steps. Um, but it's because I'm a musician and so counting to four is like so ingrained. Um, but it's not OCD because it's not preventing me from doing my normal day like my daily life is not negatively affected by it okay so these chicks did not have ocd uh well not not, was nothing that really day-to-day life negatively affected by the one scene where we saw her <laughs> like set her toothbrush down and then turn it a little <laughs> um what's uh What's okay? If you want it explained, why? Because Electra in the comic books does not have obsessive compulsive disorder, but it in the movie they they chose to give her give her this for the three freaking lines in the script, because one it gave her another relation to Abby, um, and they're just trying to create like create literally out of nowhere similarities between those characters. Yep, we have to be we have to be told that these characters have feelings for each other. We yeah. Um, because and, nothing shows it. Uh, the peekaboo scene showed it, but that was it. Uh, and and two, it's that OCD is prevalent among prodigies, and they're saying that both of these women were prodigies. And the treasure at one point, again, treasure doesn't make any fucking sense in this movie. So where it's a safe to assume that Typhoid Mary might also have obsessive compulsive disorder in this film. So speaking of Typhoid Mary, let's talk about actual typhoid. I actually want to correct that first. Um, OCD is not associated with child prodigy. Um, it's a, it's actually associated with um, mild um, deficits in memory and spatial awareness. Sorry, let me rephrase. So there. The, the behind the scenes said that because. Mozart. The people who wrote this film didn't yeah. do their goddamn research. No. They got this uh, this neurological disease way wrong. Um, they they did less research than I did, and I <laughs> read the Wikipedia article this morning. Well, was Wikipedia around in two thousand five? I uh, mean, encyclopedias were around. So back to my sick transition to typhoid. Oh, speaking of sickness, I got you. Yeah. Typhoid. Again, nothing to do with this movie, but we're giving Ben fucking topics to talk about. Right. Uh, so, typhoid is a real disease uh, called typhoid fever. It's a bacterial uh, bacterial disease, and the symptoms are high fever, abdominal pain, constipation, headaches, Flu, flu-like things, um, but it can kill you. Uh, any similarities to the symptoms described in the film? Uh, which were? You don't remember? Okay, I'll help you out. Uh, cracked skin, coughing. Okay, 
Okay. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. They, and, they actually one of the one of the characteristics of typhoid fever, which I completely forgot to mention, is uh, it, it does have a very it does give you a very distinctive rash. Ooh. So. Okay. There you go. She blew her sickness uh, towards a guy, and he just like his skin dried up real fast, and he got like all veiny, um, and he yeah, started it coughing. Do that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I got that was for movie effect. Um, and then later, when she like made out with Electra for like two freaking minutes, uh, then she just like paralyzed, still. Yeah. And then her lips went blue, and she just lost all the air. Yeah. So. No, not that. Yeah, it does. It does. Uh, it does give you Did a it? rash. Do you have the story of the actual typhoid Mary? Wasn't she Only a, a nurse who <laughs> inadvertently spread the typhoid? Something like that. I was hoping Ben had something prepped, but oh, okay, I remember it now. Uh, there was a Wikipedia or not a not Wikipedia, a Radiolab episode about her. But she was um, what's called. She was the first um, known in the United States. Uh, what's called an asymptomatic carrier of typhoid. So she can carry no symptoms. She carried typhoid and was contagious and could infect other people, uh, but showed no symptoms herself. Ta-da! And that's really her story. Is that like that's why she got because she killed so many people with typhoid because she just kept spreading it. Just and accidentally, just wandering it. around. Yeah. So she uh, she worked as a cook. Okay, I'm. Stuff's coming back to me. So she worked as a cook, and people started realizing that all these people where she had worked um, got typhoid. And um, it's estimated she infected 51. Three of them died. And so she was actually um, forcibly isolated on an island Jesus. for like 30 years. Whoa. Wow. I don't remember that part of the story. Yeah. That's a very important part of Typhoid Mary's life. Yeah, so yeah, she was she was she was forced by the New York State um, Health Department or whatever it was called in the turn of the century to yeah be under quarantine until she died. Oh wow, you're losing energy, Ben. Let's pick it back up. Let's pick it back up. Uh, you're like you're like breathing between every four words. I'm I'm still coming down off this cold, so and well, at least it's not typhoid. At yeah, least it's really. not typhoid. typhoid. And at least uh, to help me recover from this cold, I've abstained from drinking. Although it was it was difficult not to drink through this movie. <laughs> Speaking of which, Speaking of which, to, feel free to do so if you are of age and responsible. Um, let's get some. Drinking game rules out of there. You know how to do this. We're just gonna. We just have a lot of them that are just really silly. Mostly they're all just complaints. None of them are any really that clever. Uh, <laughs> so just basically take simple drinks through the whole thing. All right, simple drinks. Anytime um, Electra stands around doing nothing like a dumb asshole, take a drink, which happens a lot. <laughs> Anytime there's the there's the really heavy-handed white equals good, black equals bad symbolism. Take a drink. Anytime there's a confusing flashback or dream sequence. 
Oh, yay. It's like Batman versus Superman all over again. Uh, the movie puts that to strength. You got to drink through that entire animated sequence that tells oh. you what the plot is supposed to be, and then the movie has nothing to do with that. Yay. <laughs> anytime, drink any time that Jennifer Garner is unnecessarily sexualized. You know what? Might have been the best part of this movie because she is uh, she pulls it off, honestly, as like being strong and sexy in this film. I think, in my opinion. Well, I'll just I'll just drink then. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, take a drink anytime. The slow mo is ridiculous. Oh, oh, they're kissing. Oh, two minutes later, they're still kissing. Are they still kissing? Yeah, they're still kissing and following. Mm-hmm. Uh Take a drink anytime. There's a special effect that's totally believable, necessary, and well integrated into the movie's plot. That's sarcasm, right? Because there's none. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime that you can't, you have no idea what the fuck's going on, who these people are, or why you should care, take a drink. (laughs) You don't, please don't die. Uh, it's every time you realize that you're watching the movie Electra. <laughs> oh. oh, man. Take a drink anytime the movie tries to be badass and just ends up being bad. Yay. Ah, and finally, take a drink anytime Amber yells, Electra! Like a dumb basic bitch. Seriously, you're hiding. Stop screaming, you dumb just, asshole. Just, just get a keg. <laughs> take the little hose thingy stick it down your throat open it up and just don't stop I, I get it she's your only friend but she has like killed so many people and you just keep screaming her freaking name when you're hiding she's doing everything she can to protect you from these people and giving you a chance to run and you just keep fucking it up even Mark Miller is like I'm gonna snap your neck Abby because you're so fucking dumb sometimes yeah and a total psychopath. You kill people for a living? Cool. I want to do that. <laughs> Can I fight with my chain? <laughs> I would like to be paid to murder people. <laughs> cool. That's Batman and Superman choice. are hiring. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Fuck this I movie. I think that's going to work. I think that's going to wrap it up today, super fans. All right. Uh, we're going to do the outro now. Uh, <laughs> super Movie Studies is recorded and produced by Triop Cop Productions. Ben. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, and also, while you're there, drop a drop a five-star rating. We uh, really appreciate uh, any time we, we have a rating. And... I believe that the more ratings we get and the more subscribers we get, the higher up in the search results we go, so more people can listen to the show. And we are still on Twitter, rocking it there. Twitter Tom's always there for superhero conversations. We're at Super Letter M Studies. Uh, tweet of the week definitely goes out to Mustache Pi for his tweet. Being forced to try to explain Batman Slaughter's BVS dream powers. Hashtag Dark Nightmares. <laughs> he had a great string of hashtag the Dark Nightmares. 
Um, he's the only person that uh, put up, went up to the mantle on our Twitter challenge from two weeks ago with Batman Begins. Uh, and what was his favorite was listening – my favorite, sorry – Listening to drunk podcasters try and pronounce Len Wine. <laughs> Hashtag the Dark Nightmares. <laughs> oh, man. If you just go back and listen to Batman Begins, you will completely understand that. Because shit, that is funny. Uh, <laughs> it's my favorite. And finally, you can always go to triopcop.com. T-R-I-O-P-C-O-P.com. We have the backlog of our entire Almost 70 episodes now. Almost, We're getting closer and closer to that 100 mark. Got to love it. Uh, 70 episodes of, of podcast bliss, beautifulness. Um, the schedule for future episodes is there. Uh, show notes are there, uh, kind of, sort of. Drinking game rules, kind of, uh, half of them are there. Uh, and Scarlet Works, we're going to start putting those up. Uh, donations are always accepted through the PayPal button. Uh, always... Mm, supremely appreciated and keep this show alive and uh, feel free to get involved um, by emailing us at supermoviestudies at triopcop.com if you remember superfan Connor Cahill who had compiled our first volume of Drinking Game Rules is actually going to be on the show next week when we discuss Flash Season 1 yeah Yay. Uh, that's right guys I'm dropping the news to you, too. We're going to have a special fan guest. All right. That'll do it today. I'm your host, Michael Maurer. James Keller-Hutzma. And Ben Anderson. And let's hope you all have a super week. Electra! 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 It's electric!